Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favorite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalized bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Welcome to On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic and the beginning of a new season of coverage. My name is Michael Bailey. I'm The Athletic's Norwich City correspondent and I hope this finds you safe and well. Uh, On the way, exit impending, Norwich's Luton loss and pre-season preparations. We catch up with not the top 20s George Ellick on what the championship this season has in store for Norwich, Gulf and the Lipstadt love Remain strong for the boss. Uh, we will dissect all this and more with our two guests, former Norwich City press officer, Ben Mounser. Hello, Michael. Stop shaking your head, Dan. And making his on-the-ball debut, our latest addition to our regular crew of contributors, former Norwich City publications and programme editor, Dan Brigham. Hi, Michael. Uh, Dan and he of former Big Grant Holt fame, John Rogers, are our two additions to the On The Ball crew for the new season, and I could not be happier. A final piece of housekeeping we've brought two in, but only to strengthen our squad. No one was for sale during the summer, and I'm delighted to say that there will be no outgoings before the season starts. Steve Sanders and Stuart Hodge are also still very much part of our plans for the new season, and... I'm not just saying this, the squad harmony is better than I've ever seen at any of my former podcasts. Gentlemen, thank you uh, very much for joining us. Uh, how are you, Ben? Nice to see you. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, Michael. Although, you know, I'm a little bit worried because, you know, I feel like I'm associated with the relegation and now with the increased competition for places among the pod team with Dan and John, you know, I'm, I'm sort of fighting for my place right now. It's uh, high expectations this season. That yeah. is true. Um, uh, Dan, are you going to uh, reignite the fire in Ben's belly? Uh, if I possibly can, yeah. I suppose, am I the uh, Kieran Dowell of this operation? Ooh, well, <laughs> that's what you said. That, that was affected me anyway. <laughs> we'll let the listeners decide um, um, how it's sounding in, in about eight to ten games, if that's all right. <laughs> um, uh, so we do have a slightly refreshed format uh, for you all this season. Um, And we're going to head straight into it, starting here with our headline act. The big news is basically Jamal Lewis. Um, Norwich haven't have gone the whole closed season without selling anyone. In fact, they had to ostracize three from the first team group um, just to reduce squad numbers. Um, But as it turns out, uh, we are going to have a sale. It's going to be Jamal Lewis. He's going to head to Newcastle United. It's going to be for a, a fee. I mean, I hate the semantics of this, as I've tweeted in the last few days, but effectively the fee is basically roughly 15 million quid. There's a couple of million pounds worth of add-ons that Norwich could earn. And there's also a sell-on clause, although I'm not quite sure how much that is, and, and also where, where Jamal might end up. But uh, thoughts, gentlemen, on, on, on this? I mean, Norwich are well covered, for starters, and um, I think it's quite a good move for this, uh, this for Jamal, Ben. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. Actually, Michael, I think it's important to get those numbers exactly right, just so Liverpool fans are aware of the exact um, figure. Don't bring, them, don't bring them into it. <laughs> don't, don't. I wasn't going to, actually. I had, I had um, a whole weekend just of notifications of people talking about it and basically arguing. It was, uh, of, all, of all the people to bring that up, I'm surprised it was you, Ben. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the, la- that's, that's the last you'll hear of it from me. <laughs> um, no, whatever the final figure is, and we'll leave that open, um, it is a figure that I think is, a, is an excellent deal for Norwich City. And, and in a way, it kind of suits all parties. It's a chance for Jamal Lewis to, to obviously jump straight back into the Premier League. But from Norwich's point of view, it's, it's kind of a vindication for their approach of the last few years. And um, here you've got a player who signed into our academy in 2014 um and you know a category one academy that was able to sort of transition him from a winger into a defender and a position he has excelled at he then got an opportunity in the first team which he grasped you know brilliantly and um now now we're, we're making a chunk a chunk of money on him and he's he's kind of got the opportunity that he probably deserves to have another, another stab at the premier league so i think certainly from norwich city's point of view um, this is a really good deal without kind of getting into the detail of the finances. The, 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 you know, the, the ballpark figure that um, is being reported for me is, is a good price, especially in a COVID transfer window. And um, uh, Norwich's second biggest sale behind James Madison. So I think, yeah, all said and done, all complete profit, given that he was an academy product in the end after they nabbed him from Luton. Um, 100 first team appearances for Norwich and therefore in total in his senior career. So it's not many, but it's a, it's a good chunk. Only a couple of goals, not that many assists for a player who's supposed to be fundamental to Norwich's attacking um, shape, uh, Dan. And, and I suppose you could argue actually was second choice to Sam Byram at left back for a lot of last season until Sam got injured again. So uh, not taking away anything from Jamal as a person. He's a great lad, by the way. Uh, Also, his his talents um, wasn't exactly a straightforward season for him last season. No, I'm maybe in the minority here, but I thought it was quite unfortunate to lose his place to Sam Byram. And, you know, when Byram came in, he, he put in some excellent performances, but I thought of probably, he was probably our most consistent defender last season, Jamal Lewis. I'd say he made fewer mistakes than anyone across that back line, maybe apart from Grant Hanley, but then he, he barely sort of played last season. Um, so, yeah, I thought, I thought he was consistently good. I thought he was defensively, uh, he matured perhaps more than his uh, right-back partner, uh, Max Ahrens. I thought Jamal Lewis was probably the better defender there still. So it's quite interesting, actually. As Ben mentioned, he came into this club as a, as a winger, but it's probably that side of his game that's um, uh, probably been letting him down perhaps a little bit more. As Max Ahrens, as we saw for England in the 21s the other day, is you know, an excellent attacking right-back and, and got plenty of assists in the championship season. Uh, whereas Jamal Lewis has struggled a little bit with that as well. And as a winger, as a former winger, you, you kind of expect a little bit more from him. I know it was Kosovo, but his assist at the weekend was amazing. <laughs> it's lovely. I could watch that all day. Um, and no way he was going, really, did he? And then he found <laughs> in, a, in an excellent position and did well to set the goal up. <laughs> Max is one of those players who doesn't look like he knows where he's going, but he does always seem to know where he's going. Um, I, I say. Um, yeah, Jamal was an interesting one, certainly in the second 
in the sort of second phase or project restart last season because he did look like one of the players whose confidence was really kind of hammered by the situation because he he really looked lost with the with the ball and and it did sort of a lot of progress sort of seemed to stop with him a lot of the time which was a shame because it just looked like a temporary issue it will be interesting how he gets on at newcastle won't it ben i know they've just the, obviously the deal hasn't been confirmed yet it's worth saying but uh, i'm expecting yeah. the medical to take place today and it to be confirmed on tuesday because we're recording monday lunchtime so i expect this will be confirmed probably on the day this podcast is out um newcastle have confirmed today that they've spent 20 million quid on callum wilson who not convinced he's quite the same player he was several years ago um and yeah they've obviously been in a funny funny position themselves so just how newcastle how how jamal um you know gets on at newcastle i think we'll all be kind of keen to see that yeah definitely i don't want to steal dan's thunder but um dan tweeted the other day about you know the, the type of um work that jamal will be expected to do in the final third we know at norwich what Daniel Farker wants his fullbacks to do and his attacking players to do in those situations is quite complex. And maybe Jamal has suffered a bit from that. Um, obviously, he's now going to be working under Steve Bruce, who is a, you know, prop, as a proper football man, is uh, <laughs> probably more inclined to have his fullbacks crossing a bit more. Um, I confess I haven't done any actual research into that, but you know, my sense is that Jamal will be asked to maybe play a slightly different role um, for... Newcastle. It's, it's interesting what, what you guys have said there about his attacking um, output um, being sort of unexpectedly inferior to his defending, given that he was previously a winger. I know, Michael, you did a really interesting piece comparing the seasons of Jamal Lewis and Max Aaron's, you know, I think it was just after the season finished on The Athletic. Nice. And if you look at the sort of kind of attacking metrics that um, were used in that piece, Max Aaron's was, was quite a long way ahead of um, Jamal. I think it was expected goals from shot creation and ball progression which you know michael i'm sure you can tell me exactly how that is um, calculated yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to reread the piece first um and it was it was me and, and tom warville who is our our stats guru we, we did do it together i didn't just bump it on him and then stick my name on it honestly uh, but yeah. it, does, it does feel like it was a long time ago i mean the really interesting thing for that piece was actually um sam byram outshone them both <laughs> in what was yeah. still a good chunk of the season that he played so um that lingers with me i suppose the thing with sam byram is you just need to get him fit and, and bearing in mind he hasn't that was his first real stint as a left back. Generally, he's a right back, um, which does bring us on to the cover. Of course, if if and as and when Jamal is 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 gone, um, we have Sam McCallum and um, Javi Kintia, who uh, who is who's got a little knock at the moment, but I don't think that's going to keep him out for too long. It'd be interesting who starts, obviously at Huddersfield on Saturday. Um, so Norwich are okay. Well, it, it's a bit unknown, isn't it? I mean, um, Quintia feels like someone who probably doesn't carry the ball as well as Jamal Lewis does. And that was one of Jamal Lewis's great strengths, is carrying the ball pretty rapidly as well. Um, whereas McCullum was definitely brought in with the reputation of being able to do, or to replicate that, is to take the ball forward, quite an attacking uh, left back. And it feels like we've got best of both worlds, actually, because uh, Quintia feels like he's the more de defensive-minded. Uh, you're, you're smiling at me, Mike, as if I pronounced that. No, it's perfect. It was absolutely perfect. Good to know. And I, I did have a lengthy conversation with Hodgie about how to pronounce it, <laughs> even though I did Spanish at school. But yeah. Well, I mean, Ben did Spanish as well, if, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, sorry, Ben. I didn't know that. Go on, give us your pronunciation. Javi Quintilla. Love it. So it was... Quintilla uh, is the... <laughs> oh, 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 God, you've, 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 you've gone backwards there, Dan, in the space of two minutes. <laughs> and McCallum, which I'm pretty sure I've pronounced correctly, uh, is the sort of more attacking wing back. But he's, what, 19... 
Uh, Quintia has definitely come in not to sit on the bench, has he? So I think perhaps our pro approach will be slightly more defensive-minded, especially considering how many goals we did ship last season in the Premier League. Well, look, uh, good luck to Jamal Lewis once it's all confirmed. We all wish him huge amounts of, of luck and uh, thank you for a fantastic two and a half seasons. Um, uh, yeah, I've yet to be convinced by Xavi Quintilla as I've seen him so far, but, you know, it's only pre-season, so why would I be convinced? Um, and I think Sam McCallum is, is raw, but has, has a lot going for him and still very young. So it'd be uh, interesting to see who gets, uh, who gets the gigs and uh, how they get on. It's fair to say it's weakened the side, is not it? It's weakened the starting eleven. Losing to Oh, that's a deflation. But yes, uh, I suppose if you're going to leave, lose a 15 million quid. Well, yeah, I think, you know, within, within all of this, though, we're, we're losing a really good player, which has kind of almost been lost in that like, we've got a good deal, yes, and this is how we work because we bring the young players through and sell them for good money, which is, as Ben pointed out, exactly what we're doing. But we are weakening the first 11 by, by letting him go. Time, time. Yeah, and just... I think... Um... I've criticised Jamal's attacking output he, and he did only score two goals but two very memorable goals as well um, in, in the FA Cup against Chelsea and then obviously that, that superb strike against Leicester in the Premier League when we all still had hope and dreams oh, yeah. and freedom um, yeah uh, um, <laughs> a big game player so there we go Our uh, next regular seg 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 uh, segment, make sure I say that properly, is, um, is not really a segment because it's things we are not going to discuss. Um, so these are the things we are not going to discuss. We're not going to discuss them. Um, uh, we're not going to certainly take a long time discussing or not discussing them. Uh, Norwich exited the uh, Carabao Cup at the first round stage. They lost 3-1 at Luton. Um, it all happened quite late on. Um, we're obviously not going to discuss this, but um, it, it did seem to be... Um, very needless <laughs> and Norwich sort of looked the better side um, uh, in about second gear and didn't really create anything and then conceded some really sloppy goals and that was that. Anything you don't want to say about that, Chance? Yeah, I mean, you, you've kind of summed it there. What I really don't want to talk about is um, how little we got Jordan Hugill involved <laughs> in that match. That's the main kind of concern for me. Obviously, there's huge caveats with this game. As um, I was going to say, as I said on the previous pod, but that was actually one that we that never went out. As I said in the ghost preview show for the yeah. Luton game, um, it, it kind of felt like a hybrid between a preseason friendly and, and a cup game. And Norwich's squad certainly um, reflected that. But um, yeah, for me, it's obviously not ideal. I, I would have liked to have gone through in the cup. I know some fans aren't, aren't so bothered, but I certainly would have liked to have done, given the, especially given the size of our squad. Exactly that, but we're obviously not going to talk about that. No. Not, we're not going to talk about the old habits of last season sort of creeping in, Dan, you know, at the back. And, and I mean, though, we say of last season, that, that's kind of the old habits since, it's fair to say, since Daniel Farker came in, I think. It's just that in the Championship, we managed to score more goals than, um, than, we, than we let in. I, th I don't think those are sort of old, slightly sloppy habits and poor defending from especially near post corners, etc. I don't think it's unlikely to see them eradicated, isn't it? The hope is that we just find our goal scoring touch again and it was nice to see Dow get on the score sheet. Yes, it was indeed. And Dan Barden get a, a first team debut. Um, uh, he's still only 18 in goal. So that was a big moment for him, of course, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, uh, I mean, we, we would like to talk about um, Ben Gibson signing, but um, it's sort of, we, we know he's a strong character, a big statement signing. It's a lot of money if Norwich go up, which is when they would pay it. He's going to spend the season on loan from 
from Burnley. So, um, and you know, Norwich can never cannot have too many centre backs, Dan, because Tim Closer got injured. But we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's a good signing, right? But it is cla- it is a classic Norwich signing under Stuart Webber in that it's a little bit of a risk as well. He's definitely got a lot of potential. He's shown before that he is an excellent centre-back, sort of very commanding. Um, and despite playing on the left, he's, he's pretty two-footed as well. But, you know, is the other thing I'm correct in saying, he's played, made six appearances in two seasons. So it comes with like a real attachment of risk there as well, especially in a back line or a centre-back, at least, that have been injured a lot last season. We're bringing in someone who hasn't, played an awful lot and therefore opens themselves up to injury as well but that's the kind of market we've dealt in and dealt in very successfully generally over the last two seasons especially in the championship as well uh, and it, he is a class player and will improve that back line you could play yeah. a left but you could play a left back couldn't he as well ben <laughs> yeah and you could and i'm actually i'm interested to know whether daniel farker is entertaining like a, a back three option as well now that ben gibson's here and is, is left footed i know i think before last season he, he actually um we we trained and played in that formation in pre-season but this pre-season I think we've been very much um, sticking to the status quo yeah I wonder if now we we have five sort of what you'd call first team central defenders on our books whether that's an option yeah it's an interesting one with Gibson not only has he not played any football it's the the situation at Burnley has been truly bizarre um, in the sense that he was training with another club while Burnley were paying his wages and I I don't think anyone actually kind of knows what really went on there I'm sure um, not yet. People at, the, people at the club do. <laughs> Michael's yeah. trying to uncover it. Yeah, well, yeah that, that kind of um, yeah raises a few doubts in my mind. But again, I agree with Dan. I mean, this is a player who three years ago got to call up to the England senior squad, who has a, a, a very good pedigree from his time at Middlesbrough, and who um, will undoubtedly, if if on on top form and, and able to hit the ground running quite soon, will will be a real kind of bonus for us um, as a defensive unit. We'll see. Um, we're not going to talk. We're, Dan, we're not going to talk about it. What, what are we going to say? Now, now there's pressure on me to make it interesting. Well, no, but, just um, make it quick. I was just going to say he brings a lot of presence as well, which I think we, I feel we miss a lot when Grant Hanley is injured. Agreed. And I thought that came across in his interviews. Uh, and the other thing we weren't going to talk about is the away kit, which is, which is petrol, petroleal. It's not blue. What it isn't is blue. It yeah. is not blue. Yeah. We're not going to talk about it. <laughs> I'm actually not going to talk about that. Okay, brilliant. Um, <laughs> that is a section and a segment that I think is really going to take off over the coming weeks. Harry's sponsors On The Ball, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who are sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades, rich lathering shave gel, and travel blade cover. That's worth saying at this point, I have got one of these packs and it is fantastic. I I do also have a beard, as you'll know, but I do like to trim around it. And I have to say, my neck has never felt so good. 
As a listener of On The Ball, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash on the ball right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com forward slash on the ball. Now, uh, I had two weeks off, uh, then returned just in time to spend uh, a week with Norwich City in Germany, taking in their preseason tour. Uh, of course, now it's been a week of back to normal, and, and here we are. Uh, there are some good bits on the Athletics read if you haven't already, including my interviews with Jordan Hugill and Luton first team coach, a certain Adrian Forbes, as well as what Daniel Farker said and did for the whole ninety minutes of Norwich's friendly against Dynamo Dresden. If you're yet to subscribe, then try theathletic.com forward slash Norwich Pod, where you can pick up a free trial for 30 days. Uh, now, this bit I've lazily called centerfold, which is horrendous, really, um, but it's sort of a, a feature that we might talk about. Um, we're going to talk about a couple of things here because um, this is kind of a hybrid of our first two podcasts in the end. Um, but uh, given I was, in, I was in Germany for a week of pre-season, I figured it might be good if you guys asked me any questions you wanted to about pre-season. So if you quick fire them at me, I'll do my best to answer them. Um, if it already feels like a lifetime ago, you know, you don't have to ask many. Don't worry. Who wants to go first? Should I go first, then? Sure. He doesn't care. Now, I know you've, <laughs> written, you've written about this a bit, Michael, already. And a lot of, our, a lot of focus this summer has been on how, how can we improve defensively and be more robust in the championship. And obviously, the addition of Ben Gibson um, supports that. But I also think kind of defence begins in attack in modern football and begins with pressing. And I think Norwich's pressing last season was generally quite poor, especially after project restart. So I'm, I'm keen to, to know, Michael, from your kind of detailed look at pre-season and, and the Luton game, exactly where you think we are with our pressing game and where our new signings um, like Pojeta and Kieran Dow, how, how are they fitting into what I'm sure will be a kind of more... Um, focused approach on pressing from Daniel Farker in the championship. Yeah, I thought um I thought pre-season it was notable how much they were working on it and how productive it was because they were they were they were hunting in packs. They were they were waiting for the right triggers when the ball went slightly wide um against the the back two or whichever that they were coming up against and while it, it it's sort of a it, it can be a 4-4-1-1 almost that Norwich play and those two do press together. Sometimes Norwich will press uh, for, uh, with three players. Um there was the one thing that Daniel was really kind of uh, coordinating from the sides, basically to help Jordan Hugo and Kieran Dell know when to go. So it was clearly a major focus. Um, and they, they looked actually pretty, pretty good at it and pretty consistent and, and relentless almost at it, uh, especially Kieran Dow, which really impressed me because um, I, I, I've obviously seen him a fair amount and I didn't really notice that much of his game but only really the sort of gliding and the quality on the ball that to see him be that aggressive in his pressing, I thought was, was really exciting because then you're adding on an extra sort of facet of a game that I didn't necessarily appreciate he had. Then we had Luton <laughs> where Norwich didn't really seem to do much of it very well, probably because they just had so much of the ball. They didn't really, there was a, you know, a few times, but, but Luton found it quite easy to get round it. Uh, a lot of the time, certainly in the second half. And there was a couple of times when Jordan Hugill sort of looked a bit frustrated and felt that they weren't sort of, be he wasn't being backed, which I think was kind of felt like an issue with Marco Stieperman. Um, 
so that was a frustration really because there was a regression then from the Luton game compared to the three in pre-season uh, so that was uh, annoying um, and likewise Kieran Dowell I didn't I didn't see that side of him as much he sort of regressed to the player I've kind of seen more of now uh, why that is is obviously um, I'm not sure and will be something that we'll maybe get to judge properly over the start of the championship season because Norwich aren't going to be playing in the cup again um, until June uh, until January so um, I, I, I'd be disappointed if what we saw at Luton is more of what we're going to get because I think that that will be an issue and there was general generally a lack of tempo to a lot of what Norwich were doing um, which was sort of maybe converse to and, and counterintuitive to how they were in pre-season so uh, work in progress I don't know if it was harder for, for Daniel to kind of get his messages across at Luton compared to pre-season when it's probably a little bit more intimate even even without a crowd um, but um, yeah uh, Huddersfield away from home it will be interesting how much of the ball Norwich have and how many opportunities they have to press and I mean I've Obviously, they have Amy, Amy Buendia is still suspended for one more game, but um, I'd, I'd like to think certainly with the pace of Vanel Hernandez and, um, and Poirheta um, in terms of what they can do pressing against the ball as well, um, I'd like to see something much more aggressive uh, come Huddersfield. So there you go. I hope that's an answer. Dan, you got a question? Pre-season well, question? As a supplement to that, I suppose, oh. interested to know how uh, Timu Puki looked in terms of his pressing as well, because it was... I mean, noticeable since his toe injury that he probably wasn't leading from the front in quite the same way as he was in the Championship and at the start of the Premier League season as well, uh, to the extent where yeah, we had to rely on Josip Dermic to do some pressing. Um, oh, was so he? I just <laughs> if he looked up for, uh, looked back to that sort of match sharpness and whether Hugo looked like he was uh, terrorising the defenders in the press as well. Um, so yeah, I mean there was definitely that energy from Jordan in pre-season, um, and with Timu, I thought um, it was his general energy. I, the, I didn't. There was a bit of that in 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 the pressing, but it was almost his his movement when Norwich had the ball that that, that I was really happy with because he 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 was chasing down defenders much more aggressively. I, I thought the first game he played the second half, I think, against SC Val, and he looked he was almost anonymous and I was a bit like, oh, this doesn't bode well because this is exactly what we saw at the end of last year. Um, but then the second two friendlies, he looked a lot more lively and I thought, especially against Dresden, he just seemed to have the bit between his teeth. And again, I hate judging things in pre-season because you don't know what you're up against, but just his own personal energy levels was, was and the goal obviously helped as well. So I do think those first moments for Timo this season in an orange shirt competitively are going to be really important. I think that might set the tempo for the first, you know, several months um so i think there's 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 optimism that he'll be back at a better level than he than he sort of finished last season um and he seems to be fit and, and reasonably fresh he missed that chance for finland didn't he um yesterday which is a bit of a weak finish which we kind of got a bit used to in recent months so um as as I think I've said before, the last eight seasons he's scored with his first shot on target. Um, so um, no pressure on that first shot on target against Huddersfield, but he better score basically. <laughs> so we'll see how he gets. We'll see how he gets on. Um, but Jordan against Luton, yeah, was as I was saying with Ben, he looked a little bit lost. Really, it wasn't Norwich didn't seem to do anything to really help him out in what they were expecting of him, which. It's a bit of a worry going forwards, but you know, plenty of time, early days, lots to work on. The one thing I did want to discuss, um, or maybe flag, was um, while I was spent my week in, uh, in Germany on preseason, I also spent a day at Lippstadt writing a feature on Daniel Farker's uh, many years at the club as a player, 
uh, where he was very slow but scored a lot of goals and as a head coach and sporting director at the same time where he basically ran the place and built it up from nothing helped them get a new stadium and they've actually stayed in the top uh, in the fourth tier um, for a few seasons now which was kind of a something Daniel himself never managed because they got relegated in his first season in the fourth tier but uh, it's something they've been able to sustain off the work building the club up from almost zero that, that Daniel Farker managed so it was lovely going around Finland. I hope you get to read read the feature. I only went out this morning, gents. I'm going to put you on the spot. Have either of you read it yet, or are you too busy in your lives? Read the um, the, the headline. That's a, that's a good. I didn't write that bit, but it's probably the best bit. I, uh, I did uh, read it. I read it. Thanks, Ben. Um, anything sort of stick out to you, or was it kind of like, oh yeah? It was the, the Farker calling himself the slowest striker in Western Europe. Um, <laughs> was a great line. But me, for me, I mean, the, the sort of main theme, main theme through the piece was the connection Farker had with the people at Lipstadt, players, fans, and um, Kai Hartelt, who was the guy you interviewed. Great bloke. What a bloke. Yeah, that, that kind of that connection that Farker, you know, goes out of his way to cultivate, I think, and is a, a huge part of his managerial um, dogma. So yeah, no, that, it was, it was a, you know, a, a really interesting piece, Michael. Mm. Good. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. Um, uh, make, sure you, make sure you read it. Oh, go on, Dan. Are you going to say something else? carried that on, obviously, at, at Norwich City. I mean, obviously, on a, it's an easy thing to do when you win the championship title. But there are, I don't think there are many managers who would have stuck around after the season we just had in the Premier League. I mean, whether that's, you know, being let go by the board, but I don't think a lot of managers would have stepped back and maybe looked for a new challenge. Um, He's already won the championship title and now he's being tasked with coaching a selection of brand new under 23 players as well. And I'm not sure there are many managers out there who would relish doing that for a second time in three years. So yeah, I do think, I do think he stands apart from sort of the usual uh, culture of management that we see in English football. Uh, bouncing back, obviously, from the championship at the first time of asking does not happen very often. It was interesting, actually, speaking to the people in Lipstadt. They were like, so in England, if if you know you have a really bad season, there's, there's no pressure on the manager? And I had to sort of say, well, Norwich managed to sort of eloquent and, and, and articulate that um, scenario very well and, and just about held on to the faith of the fans, probably it did help there weren't any fans in the stadium probably for the last 10 games. Um, but, you know, that isn't normal. I did try and tell them that in England, perfectly likely he would have been sacked <laughs> in a, a normal club. But um, there we go. Norwich have chosen their way, which has obviously just reminded me that defeat at Luton was a record, a record setting 12th successive in all competitions yep. in club that's, history. That's our way, isn't it? And that's our way. <laughs> that was definitely one of the things I wasn't going to talk about. So there we go. Um, and yep. now I've brought it up. Um, so uh, an extra bonus feature for everyone here. It is 16 months since Norwich City won the EFL Championship. Obviously, still defending champions in my head. Uh, now they're uh, back. Of course, the question is, what does d- the division they return to now look like? So I thought it would be a good idea to draft in George Ellick, half of the presenting duo of Not the Top 20 and the Athletics' own Thursday EFL podcasts, uh, for a crash course ahead of the 2020-21 campaign. George, thanks for joining on the ball. Much appreciated. Are you glad to have Norwich back, first of all? Yes, of course we are. Um, you know, it's always good to get a club back that we've enjoyed seeing progress up the leagues. It's kind of tainted, I guess, a little bit by 
you know, we always want the clubs that go up from the championship to do really well in the Premier League because we're always saying how the gap isn't that much. When they go up, we talk to all these Premier League journalists about how good these sides are. So when a team like Norwich wins the league and then comes straight back down to us, it's a bit of a shame. But, um, you know, we love the fan base. I think we started to tap into some of the Norwich fan base by the end of, of the, of the uh, league winning season. So uh, hopefully we can get you guys back on board um, but hopefully just a fleeting visit. I hope you're just passing through again. Well, we appreciate that. I mean, imagine covering it every week. That's what I was saying <laughs> last season. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. I had a chat with Steve Maidley, actually, um, mm. the Athletics West Brom correspondent, and he was quite chipper and upbeat going in. And I've kind of been sort of pummeled down in the fact that this gap is ridiculous and you still have to buy seven or eight players to survive in the Premier League. So it's going to be interesting how both Leeds, uh, West Brom and Fulham do, of course, next year. Um, in terms of back in the Championship, what, what are the stories from last season that um, are likely to affect the forthcoming campaign that maybe Norwich um, and we've all missed? I mean, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> There's so much that happens in this league. It's absolutely bonkers. Um, I mean, the, the first one to mention is Sheffield Wednesday's 12-point deduction um, after some financial irregularities. Uh, that means they start the season quite clearly 12 points behind everyone else. It's always a big shame, I think, when a league campaign starts without every team starting on zero points. Um, there's some drama as well because the deduction was implemented after last season. Uh, if it had been implemented last season, then they'd have been relegated and Charlton would have been safe. Charlton were, were kind of threatening legal action, but given what's going on at that club, which is a whole different story, um, there are no place really to start um, suing the EFL or anything like that. So at the moment... Uh, that's not going any further, but it means that Sheffield Wednesday do start 12 points behind. And, and given you know, halfway through last season, they were challenging for promotion. That could be a good thing for Norwich if they are going to start very quickly. Uh, Brentford have left Griffin Park. They've moved to their new ground um, after losing the playoff final last season. Uh, they are amongst the bookmakers' favourites, I think their second favourites behind yourselves um, for the championship. Um, but they are set to be losing Ollie Watkins and Saeed Benarama. We don't know where to, but yesterday in the Carabao Cup, they played against Wickham and neither were in the squad, so it looks pretty ominous there. And you, I would probably think, having been you know, a massive fan of what Brentford do, and I do think they'll continue to be strong, um, that the transition may be difficult for them, leaving Griffin Park. I've spoken to so many ex-pros who talk about it was the one ground they hated going to because you had the crowd right on you. And, press and two, press in. two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, where you're sitting sideways. Um, but, uh, and then the team they played against yesterday, Wickham, what a story there. Um, unfancied by, by many, um, even the manager Gareth Ainsworth spoke about how he had uh, a certain um, publication's predicted table on his wall, which predicted Wickham in 24th. I didn't tell him that me and Ali actually wrote that table until recently. Um, <laughs> but, he, uh, but they proved everybody wrong and, and they went up in the, uh, in the playoffs last season. And it does kind of feel like a bit of a kind of crazy gang story, really. This group of, of unfancied players, who many of whom felt like they were on their way down in their careers, you know, Adebayo and Fenwick. Um, being the headline one. He's not the only one by any stretch. There are lots of players in there. Joe Jacobson, the Wembley hero. These are guys who, who I don't think expected to be playing championship football at this stage for the first time. And Gareth Ainsworth has, has really galvanised something special there, playing a pretty attritional style of football. So they're certainly ones to look out for. Uh, and then just a couple of managerial changes uh, midway through last season that are worth keeping an eye on. And Warnock's return at Middlesbrough obviously got a lot of headlines when he came in last season, uh, last time he did this at Cardiff, he took over Cardiff when they were in the relegation zone, kept them up and then got them promoted the next year. So it could be one to look out for. Uh, Michael O'Neill at Stoke with a massive reputation from Northern Ireland really got them 
going for the first time since they've come back down to the championship. So a lot of Stoke fans feeling confident about their chances. And maybe less high profile, Nathan Jones has returned to Luton. He left the club when they were about to be promoted from League One. Um, they started last season very poorly and he came back um, despite all the snake emojis that Luton fans have been tweeting about him over the past year. And, and he somehow kept them up. Um, so it's good to see those two back together. And then Gerhard Struber, Barnsley, um, a similar story where he came in when Barnsley looked dead and buried. And I mean, the job he did at the back end of last season was quite remarkable. Uh, and many are fancying Barnsley to be a bit of a dark horse this season. Their biggest issue is going to be keeping hold of Struber. So lots to wrap your head around, even though you haven't been gone for very long. George, you're a busy man. I'll let you get on with your previewing of the championship. Uh, hopefully you'll speak to you over the course of the season. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Definitely. Always happy to come on. Thank you. Yeah, thanks again so much uh, to George for, for coming on. There's, there's quite a bit to think about in there. It, it made me shudder a bit, some of those thoughts, like coming up against Gary Rowett's sides and Neil Warnock's sides and Neil Harris sides. Um, but how are you gents feeling, Dan? Well, I mean, we can absolutely guarantee that Neil Warnock is going to take Middlesbrough to the title. That seems <laughs> ticked off, done, uh, as depressing as that may be. But yeah, just George going through pretty much felt like every single club there. And it just, they've, it does feel like they've all got decent aspirations to at least hit the top six, you know, sort of dark. There's uh, championship just season just feels to be, seems to be full of about 12 dark horses as it always is. Um, and it does make a mockery of predictions. I remember the first season Daniel Farker came in 4-4-2, predicted us to finish first. And the second season under Daniel Farker, they predicted us to finish 14th. So it got it completely wrong, like both seasons. So it does, it make, it does make a fool of people, but that's, that's part of the fun, I suppose. Yeah, it's interesting there that a guy who, you know, covers the championship and has obviously got a lot of knowledge on the teams. He, he can't really look sort of anywhere, can't, can't pick out any, he sort of had to speak about a lot of teams there and even he, even he kind of recognises how unpredictable it is. And one team I, th- I think might be a bit of a dark horse is Birmingham as well with Ator Karanka and I think they've recruited quite well and um, George didn't mention them either. So, you know, as Dan says, you could pick from pretty much all of them. Um, we haven't even spoke about Huddersfield yet who have got a very interesting managerial appointment and obviously our first opponents of the season this weekend. They, they have um, a Norwich will be coming up against Harry Toffolo and, and Alex Pritchard potentially on, uh, on Saturday if they both start. Um, Norwich's first few fixtures, Huddersfield away, Preston at home, get the uh, Alec Neal reunioning swiftly. Uh, then Bournemouth away, which, you know, by all accounts, you know, you still a, a side that were relegated with them and finished with what? probably 13 more points than Norwich last season. Um, and then Derby at home, who under Philip Koku, um, of course, who was in that Vitesse Arnhem team that was beaten by Norwich in the 90s. Um, but he's, you know, he's, pl- he's, not man- he's, playing. he's not playing now. He's managing, obviously. Uh, but Derby did look very good over the second half of last season, especially after the restart. So it'll be interesting if they then kick on um, or, or not. I, I mean, are we... Are we desperate for a fast start here? Is it really important? You know, a really slow start didn't mean that they didn't win the title two years ago. Um, And likewise, all those returning players, they're only going to come back sort of towards the end of the week and they're probably not going to suddenly all go into the starting 11 at Huddersfield for, for Daniel. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's exactly the point I was going to make, Michael. Obviously, last time we were in the championship, we had a very slow start and still went on to win the title. So I, I, I absolutely don't think a fast start is essential, although I am feeling a bit kind of nervous about Saturday, given just you know how we really have no idea, A, what the team is going to be, B, whether those players are going to be ready after the international break. But you know it's the same for, 
for other clubs. As for the start itself, I think it's, it's a pretty tough start, actually, because I do believe Huddersfield, um, Preston, Bournemouth, Derby, these are all clubs who you know, probably do harbour some ambitions, certainly, to, to reach the top six. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think after, I think it's an international break after Derby, isn't there? And then we have two of the promoted teams and Birmingham at home after that. So maybe like, we could talk about the, <laughs> the likelihood of winning games on paper, but no one really knows. I think, but I do think it is a, a difficult kind of start. But, um, you know, being more optimistic, there is really no one in this division, from my point of view, who I think we should fear. Even Brentford, who... Um, as George said in the interview, they're like they're they're so well oiled in the way they go about it. But you know, it looks like they're going to lose two of their best players. Bournemouth have lost Aaron Ramsdale. They've lost Nathan Ake. They've lost Callum Wilson. Um, so look, Watford. Who knows what's going to happen with Watford? The most unpredictable team out there, I think. Uh, and, so, uh, yeah. and and unproven managers. That's probably the thing that, that yep. strikes me. But the, you know, I guess I guess Daniel Farker was maybe before he he came here as well. I mean, uh, Huddersfield's manager at the moment, although it's still coming up on on some Google searches as Danny Cowling, is um, is Carlos uh, Corberan, who was uh, Leeds under twenty three's boss. Uh, I think before Bielsa came, and then Bielsa got him involved in his first team setup. So, um, but from what I can tell, this is his first full on proper uh, senior managerial role um, and it'll be his first game in charge I think um, was yeah. that, I, I think because they finished the season did they I can't remember he might have managed I don't know no, he, no, no, he was he, caretaker um, wasn't he no he, um, he was appointed in the summer I think was that's it, it. yeah in, but, in, they, in they, did they, they must have had a Carabao Cup game yeah they did they lost down to Rochdale didn't they so obviously that was his first game but yeah. first league game it's interesting um, George mentioned the kind of loss of Marcelo Bielsa and whether Carlos Corberan is going to try and carry on Bielsa's legacy at another club. But it's quite a big transition from sort of Danny Cowley and um, that style of management and football to, to you know, I'm, I'm led to believe that Corbran is obviously a, from the school of thought of, of Bielsa. I'm sure he is. So, um, yeah, that, that kind of transition will be interesting. Um, yeah, it's just really, really difficult to know what on earth is going to happen on Saturday. I'd like to know your guys' thoughts on that. <laughs> Dan, Dan, you can answer that one. Well, I don't know. Uh, well, I'm, uh, rather than results, it's performances, isn't it? Because uh, oh. obviously a lot of people... Uh, <laughs> sorry if I said something glib said, there. <laughs> said, like a, said like a former club well, employee. Well, if you Former press officer. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> as well as like, the last... You know, when we got promoted, it was a poor... We did have a poor start, but the performances, maybe apart from Leeds at home, were there. They were, we clearly had become a slicker, more attacking side. And then if you cast your minds back to a previous relegation of which we seem to have had many in the last few years but under Alex Neal we were top of the league going into that sort of that game against that famous game against or infamous game against Newcastle but the performances definitely hadn't been there though but we were sort of we had that memory muscle still from um uh from uh, sort of, you know playing in the Premier League against good sides and we'd taken that into lesser sides and we'd managed to pick up wins but the performances weren't there um so I think I don't know, and people can interpret performances in different ways. But what I'm looking for, really, in the first sort of five or six games, or certainly before the international break, is that that spark is back for Norwich City. It's not just um, it's not just about picking up results. It's about the way we implement ourselves and kind of start to dominate games again, which we haven't done for a while. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, and you know, for, and as as Ben mentioned, like with the number of players coming back from international duty, that's difficult against Huddersfield. But certainly from Preston onwards you'd be looking for a slightly more dominant style of football. 
I ask myself whether we can forgive a, a bad performance and bad result against Huddersfield. I'm not sure we can, though, even given those circumstances. I feel like we... I don't know. If we lose on Saturday, we all know what kind of reaction we're going to see and how quickly things could turn. Um, yeah. What a note to finish that on. Uh, great stuff, gents. Uh, I will be at Huddersfield on Saturday for the championship start, or at least I'm planning to be anyway, uh, for the athletics. So make sure you keep an eye out on the app and our website for all of my Norwich City content. This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job. So you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. And the water resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping right now by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com with the code EPL20. Happy shaving. And that's time. Uh, The season is now effectively here uh, and on the ball we'll be with you every step of the way make sure you subscribe via your podcast player of choice it is available free for everyone on your usual podcast player and ad free to subscribers of the athletic via our app if you like what we're doing leave a review and a rating wherever you can and please spread the word of our efforts across the norwich city world if you'd like to get in touch with us ask questions or propose a topic for us to cover just sling me a tweet or direct message on twitter the handle is at michael j bailey in the meantime a big thank you to ben Thank you very much, Ben. Thank you, Michael. Dan, wonderful debut, 10 points. Uh, Thanks for joining us and for being a part of it. Thanks, Michael. Uh, Thanks also to George Ellick, of course, and to you all out there for listening and getting involved. That is it for our first edition this season of On The Ball in Norwich City Podcast from The Athletic. We will be back next week. Until then, never mind the danger. Now then. I'm excited by this. Uh, If you are still listening right now, thank you. Uh, Congratulations and welcome because you are now part of an exclusive and extremely exciting new club. I'm really excited anyway. Uh, (laughs) We are at our wits end, uh, the section of the podcast which will feature every week, uh, as long as the editors leave it in, uh, that will never be spoken about, publicized, advertised on social media or used to fish for debate. Nope, nope. This is just for us. For those who discover it and listen to the podcast episodes long enough to find it, the committed ones. Uh, uh, Now, there are ground rules to wit's end. Uh, We won't share this section in public, so we ask that you don't either. It's it's our secret. I'm not going to go through these rules every week, by the way. Um, uh, We are all now known for these last 10 minutes or so, maybe fewer, as Twitterkers, Twitter Uh, so feel uh, free to use that as a hashtag if you want but obviously don't say what it's about Um, uh, and no explanations Uh, I've noted that the uh, handle on Twitter at Twitterkers is also free if anyone wants to uh, nick it and have some fun with it go for it Uh, the idea is that Witsend is a special club as we are now uh, that completely owns this final portion of each podcast so you can ask or say whatever you want get in touch with us say it and we'll add it in Uh, the guys on here can do likewise Uh, there'll be themes that we start we revisit we probably cull uh, we want you to lead that help us with wits end and help it take on a life and personal
personality of its own. So I'm really excited because this is like secret. Uh, and, and that's because we all had a curry to think about this, about what to do and what to come up with and why we should do it. Um, uh, and it almost took up the entirety of the night as we tried to think of a, of a name for it. So I thought we could start off with them by, by saying, you know, by you know, the fact that we came up with this and how we came up with the, with the name, whether we were happy with it. Um, and yes, it is obviously in homage to cult Norwich City right back, um, Stephen Whitaker, Wembley cult, winner. Cult, cult Norwich City central midfielder, Stephen Whitaker. Oh, I mean, that's harsh to bring that up. It's a strong pun though, Wits End, I think. And yeah. you know, Stephen, Stephen you Whitaker, would, lovely guy. You would guy. say that though, because you, you did come up with that, didn't you, Michael? Well, well, yeah, no, I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> we were we were at our we were at our wits' end in terms of coming up with a name for this section when Michael Michael inspirationally blurted out wits' end. Um, sh- shortly after, I think Dan suggested duvet. So, was that was it? Was it tinkerer as well? I think I was actually struggling to remember what 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 other names we were coming up with. Now I can't remember what we, but yeah, it was. I think we probably um, exhausted the entire database of Norwich City footballers to come up with a... Just words, actually. Yeah, I mean, the English language. Yeah. I have to say that throughout COVID, you know, obviously I've been very responsible, but I've never wanted to hug anyone more than I wanted to hug you there, Michael, when you came up with Wits End. I mean, that was because I was trying to make fur and loathing work and I couldn't think of an <laughs> ideal second Norwich player to get in, in loathing. Um, I think it's a wonderful one... tribute to what, who is our... Probably our most underrated footballer of the last ten years. Oh, it's Stephen Whittaker, wow. not not Leroy Fair. <laughs> no, he was not underrated. I was going to say someone someone said to me that they didn't quite know what Leroy was. I mean, as in a, as in positional wise, but um, he was never the number ten he hoped he would be. I think. There's no. the first. Um, there's the first debate for Twitterkers. You know, the most underrated Norwich City yeah. player of the last ten years, very oh. specifically. 10 years so that's that's pre no that's post raid award and De, and um david strahavka who i yeah. still think could have done something yeah i, do, actually, I, I think that I, I was really excited by that signing actually i, I strahavka. know whether people's thoughts on whether leroy fair was actually the prototype marco steeperman who isn't really a number 10 or a number eight or what what is he but like steeperman fair fair was very good at looking slightly bumbling but occasionally being incredibly effective as well i remember so, in a yeah i remember a nil nil draw against cardiff where he was just amazing quite early in his norwich career how many relegations has he got in his cv now leroy fair i, th- I think he i think he left the country so he stopped picking them up okay it's QPR, he three in a row, though. yeah swan norwich qpr swansea, swansea right? yeah he was yeah, the reverse Malky Mackay. Who had uh, all the promotions on his CV, but rarely got to experience them. He did. He did hang around a fair while at Swansea, Leroy Fair. It's funny that season, wasn't it? Signing Leroy Fair, Ricky Van Wolfswinkel, Gary Hooper, all, Gary Hooper, a lot of yeah. money. All of these players are also named potential names for this section. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think I think they did come up over the hour. Um, probably not too complimentarily. Um, Ricky Van Wolfswinkel's ghost pass, I think, was quite a strong option. Yeah, it was a good. Yeah. It was a good option. Yeah. Could have worked. Um, Do we need to clarify, I think, as well, how we're spending yes, Twitterkers? Okay. Because I think we did spend about half an hour also debating this. All the important details. I think it was Twitter and then K-E-R-S. Yeah, Twitter, K-E-R-S, isn't it? Yeah. So, how, are, yeah. how are people getting in touch again? Uh, so, I well, I haven't set up an email address. So maybe I should do that. Um, but yeah. if, if you use that handle, 
and we can talk you can know that that hashtag sorry and then you know tag me ben or or dan in it um we might yeah, just, but, might just yeah. put it up in the first tweet maybe this time just so people are aware but um well, it, it, we'll have to come up with some sort of things to talk about <laughs> definitely oh no listener also you can obviously get in touch with michael's personal email address which is top at theathletic.co.uk yeah see you see who answers you on that <laughs> i think we all know also, I'm all gone. Have to be topics, does it? i suppose if any um anyone's got any norwich city agony aunt related yes. uh, queries or exactly uh, times they need you know things they need help with when it comes to norwich city then then do get in touch with only michael bailey and he will yeah. he will answer your queries <laughs> Yeah, you yeah. can send me a DM on there. My DMs are open to everyone, which is um, which is a which is a labour of love most of the time. Um, are they really? You probably should not have told me that. Well, it's, it, I think it says it on the Twitter bio, but no one reads that anymore, do they? Um, but but yeah, this is it's open, and you know we're not telling anyone that we're here. We're just letting you discover it. So um, I'm going to be fascinated to see how much of the Eds leave it in, um, because, <laughs> but it's going to be great. Going Here's to be a great. question for you, Michael. Yes. You still pronounce Alex Neil Alec Neil. I yes. think you quite put up in your earlier chat with George. Alec. Alex. I've, I've, oh God, I hope I did. If I said Alex, I've let my de- let myself down there. You're, you're um, sticking with that then. Yes, because he's Scottish, <laughs> and even though he said Alex was fine, his name was is Alec. So, um, but you know, I, I, I mean, never, I never say Alec Ferguson. So I am. I, I, I do kind of disagree because his name is Alex. It's got an X in the end. Yeah. Yes, but it's pronounced Alec. We'll have to bring Hodge by, in on by this you. One. By you, it is. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and everyone else north of the border. <laughs> You've got, you got to have a thing, haven't you? You've got to have a trademark. That's my trademark. Yeah. I, I, this is good. This is a good practice for, for, you know, the first home game when Alec will be back at Carrow Road and we can all have great fun welcoming Alec back. Um, is that how um, you, you got Alex to, like, remember who you were at press conferences? By Alex tell, what, Teddy? By, 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 no, Alec. Alec, Alec Neil. Alex, yeah. Alex, Alex, Alex Neil. Um, by well, he does ding. the same with Farker by calling him Danny, don't you? Let's call him Danny Farker. Who, who calls him that? <laughs> you do. Me, I've heard never, no, I've no. I feel, I feel awkward calling him Daniel because I shouldn't really because he's Farker. But you know, mm. I, if someone came up to me and called me Bailey, I'd be like, you know, maybe you know, nicknames for Norwich players. That's a good one because yeah, we could probably get away with generally. No, I, I think it is. Um, I've forgotten what I was going to say now. We're going to wrap it up. Um, that was the end of Wits End. I think we all are. Um, keep, an, keep an ear out, um, you select few who are even still listening now. And we'll, we'll do this at the end of each podcast. And um, uh, I'm sure it will take on its own, its own life. Um, and join in with it. Um, but for now, thank you very much, Dan. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Michael. Cheers, Dan. For your, your 10 points that you got for your performance. Uh, how, how, many, how many is that out of? Um, you gave Dan 10 points, but you didn't do a scale. Out of nine. Now it, it, it's out of 10, out of a maximum 10, um, but it's kind of just a token gesture for every, I mean, every I, day I do gets to get spinal tap, maybe and get to 11. Don't, don't push it. Fair. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>